Last week, when we ended our lesson, we had been studying from the first chapter of the Gospel of the Acts of the Apostles. We had read how that at the Ascension, the Lord Jesus had asked his apostles to go back into Jerusalem and to wait there for the promise of the Father. Now they have gone back to Jerusalem. They had gone back with joy where before there had been sadness because of great expectations on their part. Now once the Lord Jesus had said that they were to reign over the 12 tribes, so they had to find a successor to Judas to fill up the office that was vacant. And so a successor to Judas was elected and uh, prayed over, and Matthias became the successor to Judas. And uh, by the way, when Peter did this, he refers always to the scriptures and uses the scriptures to justify the election of one to fill this office. This all takes place in the first chapter of the book of Acts. Then in the second chapter of the book of Acts, beginning to read at verse 1, uh, we read of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongue the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and they were in doubt saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others, mocking, said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and, to, and said to them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Here ends the second lesson. <clears throat> A few years ago, Dr. Billy Graham visited with the most distinguished theologian in the world at that time, Dr. Karl Barth, in Switzerland. Karl Barth is a colossus in theological circles because of great works which he has produced. Billy Graham said that he asked Karl Barth what the emphasis in theology would be in the future. And Barth replied, the emphasis will be upon the Holy Spirit. This was about 15 or about 15 years ago uh, in Switzerland. I remembered that and tried to make a mental note of it. Now we have seen a tremendous manifestation of interest in the ministry of the Holy Spirit all across the country. Most of us can remember as children uh, having seen only people who would be called Pentecostal at a storefront mission of some type, or maybe a Salvation Army person, or someone else that we would meet. And certainly in Presbyterian circles, it was a very untoward to be thought of as having any sympathy with Pentecostal groups. However, since that time, there has been a great new moving of the Spirit, which has not only brought fresh new insights to many, but also, I hope and trust, a spirit of love uh, in place of division, although the devil is always sure to be at hand to exploit any opportunity he can to bring division. There have been in our own church friends of mine, Dr. J. Rodman Williams, whose father used to be the minister of this church and preached from this pulpit here in Gaither Chapel, uh, a man who has distinguished himself academically uh, all over the world by his uh, very learned discourses in theology, and who is a leader in the movement that emphasizes uh, in a way that has not been emphasized for some years, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Dr. Andrew Jumper, who has written the books which we use in our denomination on the office of elder and the office of deacon, uh, and the distinguished minister of the Central Presbyterian Church in St. Louis, Missouri, has also had a great experience of uh, a visitation of the Holy Spirit, which has been a blessing to his heart. This has also been true of many others, and many of us have friends who have uh, known blessings in this way. Now let me begin right at the very beginning to say this by way of uh, introduction. I was a history major in school. And I can well remember studying Napoleon, who was of considerable interest to me, reading about his defeat at the Battle of Waterloo. And if you ever take the trouble to get out a history book and read about that battle, which ranks as one of the 15 decisive battles in all of the history of warfare, 
It raged with acrid hatred, with swearing and curses, where men were burned in crucibles of pain. But the fiercest, bloodiest, goriest part of the battle took place in an orchard that was just laden with ripe, luscious fruit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, with his gifts and with the fruit which he produces in the Christian, can become a battlefield in which we can gore each other, or we can pluck the fruit, and we can enjoy the fruits of the Spirit, and we can look for those areas of agreement, and we can learn from that lesson which we read this morning from the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians in which uh, Bob Mumford so eloquently preached on yesterday. We can learn to love one another. I very well remember being in the Berlin Congress on Evangelism in uh, Germany and uh, Oral Roberts uh, uh, spoke one night and uh, when he came to the platform there was still some little feelings that you could almost sense. There was little whooping it up amongst the Pentecostals, but everyone else kind of got quiet. And uh, there was a little uptight feeling. And uh, Oral uh, just burst out with these words. Uh, he was speaking, of course, of Dr. Billy Graham. He said, I have been out-organized. I have been out-planned. I have been out-financed. But you can't out-love me. <laughs> and when he said that, I think he won everyone's heart right away. Well, love is the forgotten fundamental in many circles. And yet Jesus Christ said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye love one another. This is the badge and the mark of a Christian. St. Paul enforces that in words that must have made that scribe who was recording the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, just put down his pen and look up in awe at God at what he said in that 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. What if I do speak with the tongues of men or of angels and have not love? I'm nothing. What if to test my faith I gave my body to be burned and have not love? I am nothing. What if I know every single detail of prophecy and have not love? I am nothing. You see how he goes through that? Love is the one communicator, the great fruit of the Holy Spirit which produces in us the ability to accept each other and to learn from each other, and without which we are nothing except puffed up and pride and love just won't go together. As you remember, my people here know very well that I've often spoke about folks who brag about their spiritual gifts of having a form of spiritual B.O., uh, the more I've thought about that statement, the less spiritual B.O. really is. In fact, B.O. can't be spiritual. <laughs> Did you ever think of that? And so it ill behooves any of us to be proud one way or the other. And uh, uh, we, need, we, we just do not have any grounds for any pride other than that which is in Jesus Christ and in his cross. Now then, the second chapter of Acts and the coming of the Holy Spirit. The place is Jerusalem. The time is 50 days after the Passover. Pentecost means uh, 50 in Greek and has to do with 50 days after the Passover. 
50 days after the Passover, this would have been a time in which sailing would have been better in the Mediterranean. And vessels could come to Jerusalem. And so there would be more people who would be there at Pentecost than would have been there at the festival of the Passover. Because traveling would have been easier and less dangerous at this time. And so that's one of the reasons that I read that long description of the fact that people had come there from so many different places, so many different countries, both Jews and proselytes, non-Jews who had been converted to Judaism. Now, they came together when the day of Pentecost was fully uh, fulfilled, when it had, uh, had reached its completion. And all the way through the New Testament, you're going to see the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies taking place again and again and again and again. Now, this is going to take place here. There will be the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy and the citation of Scripture by Peter in that great sermon that he makes here is impressive uh, 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 to me very much. First of all, they were in one accord. They were in one place. We're told there's about 120 of them. Whether they had met in the upper room, which it must have been pretty crowded, or whether they had met somewhere in the precincts of the temple, or whether they came out of the upper room and spilled over into the precincts of the temple, I don't know. I do know that these first four verses tell us of a remarkable historical event. The Christian faith is built upon great festivals. At Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation of the Son of God by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You remember that? That's why we said that creed this, in the creed this morning, conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We also have a great festival in the Christian church, which occurs at Good Friday, when Jesus becomes our sin bearer upon the cross, when the fulfillment of Isaiah 53 takes place, and he who knew no sin became sin for us. We also have a fulfillment of prophecy because death cannot hold him, and on Easter Sunday, he is raised again from the dead in great power and in great glory. Forty days after his resurrection, in liturgical churches there is celebrated the ascension, of which we spoke about last Sunday. And yet we remember that those messengers from God who stood by those apostles of Jesus at Mount, at Mount Olivet told them, don't stand here gazing up into the heavens, for this same Jesus whom you have seen go away will also come again. And this is made very plain. That's ascension, that Jesus has ascended. Now then, the, the next great festival that we celebrate is the festival of Pentecost, which this year occurs on June the 10th, which happens to be the day that the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church meets in Dallas. And I hope that means something. <laughs> Uh, uh, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. 
something unexpected happens. You cannot box in the Holy Spirit. Something unexpectedly, unexpected happens. Suddenly, all of a sudden, there came an audible manifestation, a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Now to people who were Jews, this would automatically speak of the mystery and the awesome authority and power of God. If you turn back in the pages of the Old Testament to the very first chapter of Genesis, and you begin to read about the creation, you will read that when the earth is void and without form, you will read about the moving of the breath of God over the chaos of the uncreated world. You'll read about that. This word in Hebrew is ruach, and it means wind. Now, wind can come in gale, tornado, hurricane proportions. It can rip up trees. It can tear off roofs. It can blow down houses. Or it can come softly and gently. The word here has to do with life-giving breath. If you have ever watched a person physically die, and I have, you know what it means when you see that person cease to breathe. And we say there is no more breath in him. His life is gone. Breath is important to us. And here is, is this word used. Now the word is used, of course, for the Spirit of God. And the word here is that there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. They heard it. It filled all the house where they were sitting. And then comes a visual manifestation, uh, which is described in King James English as something and here it defies, I'm sure, verbal description, cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. There is in Dallas, Texas, a, 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 a great painting, a great uh, a pictorial scene uh, seeking to recapture this. And yet it almost defies imagination here. There's something so wonderful about it. And yet it was seen like as of fire. Now stop and think a minute about your Old Testament and about all these Jews that are there. You remember one time God said to Ezekiel when he looked at a lot of bleaching bones in the desert country, evidently where some massacre had taken place and, and all these skeletons were present, and he was swept out there in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and, and the Lord spoke to Ezekiel and said to him, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, Lord, thou knowest. And then finally he says, Son of man, prophesy, prophesy unto the wind. And finally there comes not only an army that is clothed and resurrected, in which God speaks of resurrecting uh, Israel, but here there comes the breath of life into that army. And so there is a great picture given to us from the Old Testament. Jeremiah says God will take away the heart of stone and he will give to you a heart of flesh. 
that God, instead of writing the Ten Commandments on stone, God will write them on your heart. And he will do this through this mystery and ministry of the Holy Spirit in the coming of the new birth. When Nicodemus, that learned Jew, old, white-haired, wrinkled-faced theologian, came under the cloak of darkness to Jesus at night and spoke to him, he said to the Lord Jesus, We know, teacher, my dear teacher, he says, we know that you have come from God. No man could do the miracles that you've done unless God be with him. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, listen. Listen to the wind, Nicodemus. Listen to the wind. And he spoke of a spiritual birth that had to take place and could only take place by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And here he speaks of it. Well, this manifestation comes, the tongues of fire, and then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, when they heard this sound, uh, when they began to speak in this uh, language and in these different languages, the multitude came together and they were confounded by it all. Uh, they were in perplexed. They, they were curious. They wanted to go over and listen, but they were afraid to get in that prayer meeting. <laughs> uh, they listened a little bit to it, but they thought maybe I better get out of here. They listened. They listened. And then something happened. Every man heard them speak in his own language. Luke is using here very scientific, very accurate language. Every man heard them speak in, the, in his own language. And what was being spoken was the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and they marveled and they said to one another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue which we were, wherein we were born? And then that list of nations is given. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. This particular manifestation here at this particular point is a gift in my judgment of the communication of the marvelous works of God to these people. The Tower of Babel had been erected by man's pride. And it had brought discord and disunity and barriers. And here, the Tower of Babel is reversed. And here, instead of having a barrier of language, there is a common bringing together for the purpose of showing the wonderful works of God. Now the crowd outside said, they were all amazed, they were in doubt, they said to one another, what does this mean? Others mockingly said, these men are full of new wine. I meant to look up what new wine meant. I have been a teetotaler all my life, and I don't know anything about new wine. 
And I don't know what that means. Evidently, it meant that it got them drunker a little quicker or something. Uh, but uh, that's what some of them said. They're drunk. They're like a bunch of drunks. Have you ever watched people at a big reception uh, someplace after about the third or fourth time they've had one? You ever notice how loose they get real quick? Well, this was a, they didn't know. They were just telling the truth. This crowd said these men are, are full of new wine. They're drunk. And Peter who gives us an example here of what must be the best preaching in history. It's the first sermon ever preached in the Christian church. He has a very fine sense of courtesy. He didn't get mad because they said, oh, these guys are drunk. But do you know what Peter says? Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and he said to them, ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words, and here this King James really turns me off. Uh, P Peter said, listen to me. These men are not drunk. The bars aren't even open. <laughs> he, he, said, he said, they're not drunk. The bars aren't even open. He has a sense of, of, of courtesy and even a little sense of humor. And then he says, but this is that, and he goes back to the Old Testament, back to the scriptures. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. They got a drink at Joel's place. Uh, <laughs> and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That means that he is available. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall, see, uh, shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, and blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He preaches a salvation sermon based upon what Jesus did in his life, what he did on the cross, and what the Holy Spirit came to make effective to those who would believe. This is what happens at Pentecost. Here the Holy Spirit comes. He comes in great power into their minds and hearts. Now we are here told that these last days, I have people who come up to me and every now and then and they say, do you believe we're living in the last days? I say, no. They say, ah. And I say, I know we're living in the last days. <laughs> I know we're living in the last days because that's what Peter said right here. That the fulfillment of, we've been living in the last days ever since this happened at Pentecost. We've been living in the last days. It's, I have people who say, well, Jesus hadn't come back, and that was 2,000 years ago. But good buddy, he's just 2,000 years closer. <laughs> That's all. Some person said, uh, I don't think he's coming back. Well, you can know he's coming back because he said, in a time that you think not, I'll come. And he's coming. And he means for us to expect his coming. And he means for us to prepare for it. All our creed, all our communion service, all our uh, teaching from the scriptures indicate this. 
Now, there are some things that uh, certainly happen that uh, are prophetic and which need interpretation. But my point is that the last days, this new age, uh, this new wine and these new men that are being created by the power of the Holy Spirit here is an interesting thing because they're ushering in a brand new work which God is doing. Uh, not that the Holy Spirit is new because the Holy Spirit is one with God the Father as we said in the Nicene Creed and I was careful to choose the Nicene Creed for that reason today. The Lord and giver of life. Alright, now back to Peter's sermon. He explains, he, he tactfully feels what had been said to him. He explains to this crowd of people who were gathering around about the Lord Jesus and about his life and about how this is the fulfillment of the prophet of Joel. And look at the effects of that sermon. All he preaches on, I do not have time to go into all that he says. But now his sermon was tremendous. Every good sermon ought to have in it. It ought to have scripture, and it ought to have passion, and it ought to have results. And there were results here. Peter preached in great passion. He told how this Jesus of Nazareth, whom you, said Peter, with your wicked hands killed, you nailed him to a cross, you leaders of the Jews. This was that same coward who had run away from Herod's courtyard and he was preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit and he was bold and brave. This Jesus God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. Now that's why Matthias was chosen. They needed a person who had walked with Jesus, had heard him and who was a witness to his resurrection. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise, Jesus having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. And then again he quotes from the Psalms. For David is, uh, for David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, Anyone who tells me don't witness to a Jew about faith in Jesus Christ, there isn't any other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, all the house of Israel, all Jews everywhere, uh, that, that God hath made this same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is the Messiah. We are to love our Jewish friends, but we are to bear testimony to them that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Christ, the Son of God. Now, when they heard this, what was the result of the sermon? They went away and said, he really knows the Old Testament. <laughs> he didn't say that. They said, my, what a marvelous knowledge of history. They didn't say that. They said, didn't he tell some funny jokes? No, they didn't say that. They said, what a command of the language. They didn't say that. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. The, the word there means stabbed. They were stabbed in their hearts. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, 
What shall we do? Man, I'm waiting to hear a Presbyterian say that. What shall we do? Then Peter said, repent. Repent. Repent means a changed mind. Paul lost his mind on the road to Damascus. And he got the mind of Christ. It means a changed mind and a changed outlook. That's what repentance is. It's a whole new orientation. A whole new way of looking at things. Repent, said Peter, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Now, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, and even to as many as call upon the Lord. Now, we may differ in our attitude toward baptism. All Presbyterians do not wish to be baptized in Lake Susan, I can tell you. Uh, for dead, when you talk about co-Presbyterians, you've been in Lake Susan. Uh, but I, I will also say this. Uh, we admire your courage, and, and we do not question your sincerity. Uh, the, the, the promise here is it is a mark of repentance in a brand new life, the indication of something new which has taken place and which has been wrought in you, which is a changed heart and life toward God. And this is so critical and so important and so necessary. And I've got to close. And in closing, I want to read to you something that reminds me so much of this. I know a man who has for 30 years been an elder in the Presbyterian Church. The Lord has his own way of working he never went down a sawdust trail. He never had an experience of speaking in tongues. But he tells me by his own admission that for 30 years he simply stayed in a pew and Jesus was never really consciously Lord of his life. A few months ago, he was in New York City. And I had a letter from him. He was staying at the Plaza Hotel, and he'd gone over to Stephen Olford's church, the Calvary Presbyterian, a Calvary Baptist. Thank you. <laughs> uh, he'd gone over to the Calvary Baptist church, and he had spoken there. Uh, had listened to Stephen Olford speaking, and Stephen Olford had turned on his heart to the Lord. And he went back to his hotel room, and he wrote me a letter. He said, I don't know how to explain what is happening to me, but he said, I found myself walking down the streets of New York City singing a hymn. He said, I was singing a hymn. And he said, I felt the conscious presence of the Lord. And then, a few weeks ago, he wrote me from New Orleans this letter. And in it, with which I closed, showing the great ministry of the Holy Spirit working in his heart and life. He says, your prayers can help me and I can learn to pray to an ever-present God rather than to some distant image. At last, I feel my faith has come alive. To write like this is not easy for me, 
However, my sins have been placed at the foot of the cross, and many of the world's pleasures have been replaced with a new outlook on life. That's repentance. May I forget self, humble myself, serve my God, and walk in his footsteps all the way. This is the outpouring of my heart. I have always wanted to sign a letter, quotes, yours in Christ. I never had the nerve as I did not feel good enough. However, today I will. Yours in Christ. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Working in a mind and heart. Causing someone to yield to the Lordship consciously of Jesus Christ. If there is any lack in your life. As far as your relationship to the Lord is concerned, it may be some reserve which we practice. It may be holding back some complete surrender of ourselves to him. And it is just at this point that we have to close our message and depend upon the greater teacher, the Holy Spirit, to go with us as we walk out of the church and to lead us to the place where we're unafraid to let go and to let God truly possess us and to make us what he wants us to be. This was not just relegated to first century Christians. This is for all believers in all ages to be yielded to the Lordship of Christ. Let us stand and pray. O God, our Father, thou hast taught us in thy word that the Holy Spirit has come to make the things of Christ real to us, and we bless thee for his presence today. We pray that thou wilt take hold of us so that we may be available and expendable and usable to thee. Help us to know that the best book we can read on the Holy Spirit is the one he wrote, the Bible. Help us to study its pages, to learn what he teaches of himself and of his ministry, to learn how he applies the things of Christ to our minds, and to live out those truths day by day for all the world to stop and be curious at and ask questions about and by thy grace be touched by and come into salvation. And if there is some person here who has never yet yielded to the conscious lordship of Jesus Christ, let that person today ask the prayer which you promised you would never refuse. You said, him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. You said, if we earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more would you give the Holy Spirit to them that ask thee? Let them ask, and let them believe, and let them receive the fulfillment of your promise. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our teacher and guide be and abide with you all both now and forevermore.